0: What's going on and welcome into a Monday edition of the Pelicans Podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Sallerson and what a comeback for the Pelicans yesterday inside the Smoothie King Center the largest comeback in franchise history overcoming a 24 point deficit to take down the Boston Celtics in overtime 120 to 115 for those who were there I hope you stayed for the entire game and for those who not I hope you were able to listen whether it was on our call on ESPN New Orleans 100.3 FM or ESPN Radio with our good friend Sean Kelly who joins us now, former voice of the Pelicans, now one of the many voices of ESPN Radio. And again, he happened to call yesterday's game between the Pelicans and the Celtics. Sean, I'm, I hope you survived that uh, thrilling game yesterday, and it's good to talk to you, my friend.
1: I needed a good night of sleep, and it's great to be with you. I it, I was exhausted after the game yesterday. I think not only players and coaches, but broadcasters and fans alike exhausted. And for those of us who have our heart with the Pelicans in a good way, you know, Especially after what has really transpired for this team over the last couple of weeks, Um, it I think made it extra exhilarating yesterday to see them uh, post the largest comeback in franchise history and win that game. Although it took three hours in overtime, but it it, it went the way that I think that the Pelicans and their fans would have hoped it would.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I took a big sigh of relief after that game was over. That's for sure. Um, Peel back the curtain for us a little bit because obviously. I would have loved to see you yesterday inside the Smoothie King Center, but with COVID protocols, ESPN Radio, how do you do it from your house, which, again, is not too far from the Smoothie King Center. So it's funny that you were close but not close enough. But peel back the curtain a little bit for those that really don't know how this works for a national radio broadcast of how you were able to pull off uh, being able to call this game yesterday.
1: Every time we do it, Daniel, it's it's interesting, and uh, especially interesting yesterday because you're right, I live 45 minutes away from – Smoothie King Center. And for all the games I do, you know, at venues around the country, um, it doesn't seem as awkward, I guess, as it did yesterday to say, hey, I I can be there like, you know, in less than an hour. Um, So I'm 45 minutes away. It's in my hometown, really. And yet I'm doing the game from my house. And that's really the way that we've done it now on ESPN Radio since early in the NFL season. Um, When the sports world came back last summer, we did go to the bubble and broadcast there in person, which was a truly extraordinary experience, one that I'll never forget. But the decision beyond that was was that it would be more safe. uh, We'd be able to to do more things by setting, not only myself, but like Mark Kessler and our analysts and whatnot, up with home studios. And that's the way we've been working, whether it be NFL, college football, college basketball, and, and even the NBA for the start of this new season from our home studios, which is challenging in that you don't feel the game as much. It's hard to do it as as you and your crew know when the team is on the road to do it remotely and, and kind of get yourself into the mindset and have the physical feeling of being in an arena doing a game. Let's not forget that most of these venues don't have fans either. So um, it makes it extra hard, if you will, to kind of, um, be in the moment but a game like yesterday takes care of itself so for me yesterday just to kind of as you said peel back the curtain what i have at my disposal uh is the same video feed that a fan would see on television and you know they call that the dirty program feed Mm -hmm. because it has the graphics the score bug the clock uh those kind of things on that screen so that's why they call it dirty and then Um, in football, it's called an all 22 in basketball. They're kind of using the term all 10. So then I have another monitor with an all 10 feed for NBA games that never leaves the floor, never has a replay on it, never has a close up. It's strictly as if you were sitting in the stands or at a broadcast position watching the game. And then, you know, then it gets, then you start to get a little too cute. You know, you've got one, one monitor on a stat feed and you've got an iPad with a, with a document up. I think we use this thing called Google Docs or whatever that my producer who's in another city can type me messages. And then I'm linked to Bristol um, with an audio device. And uh, all those feeds come in through a Zoom call, just like you and I are having right now, so that my partner in yesterday's case, PJ Carlissimo, so that we can see the same thing at the same time. I mean, I I know the people, you know, who have like multiple TVs going in the house, sometimes one TV is a little ahead of the other or a little behind. The, the remedy for that is to put it all through a zoom feed so that everybody sees the same thing remotely at the same time. The only problem with that is that it knocks down the resolution and the quality of the video. So it's not really an HD, you know, per se. So um, that's, that's probably a longer answer than you're looking for. But That's, that's kind of how the setup goes. Um, and not every game is perfect. And thankfully yesterday, not only did the game give us everything we wanted, technically we, we didn't have too many problems. And so it was it, you know, it wasn't easy to call a game like that because it was so wild, but yet it was because everything seemed to kind of sync up and and there was drama and great plays and everything else. And so yesterday was one of the more enjoyable home broadcasts that I've had in a while.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good info, and it's really cool to kind of hear the different release. I'm interested in something like that to kind of see how a national broadcast like you did. Um, gets turned around and, and put on for a national audience. And you talk about the game yesterday. I'm sure for the first two and a half quarters, you're thinking, what the heck is going on here? This game is not very fun to call, but walk us through. Maybe when you when you thought maybe the Pelicans were starting to make a little push and then, okay, I'm starting to see something here where the Pelicans are not going away.
1: Well, it was all about that third quarter. Um, the first quarter was kind of reminded me of a lot of the Pelicans games I've seen here recently costly turnovers, allowing the other team to get points off those turnovers. Um, defensively, again, the, the three-point shot was all of a sudden a weapon for the other team. Um, and, of course, I thought that Steven Adams being out yesterday was was um, was a problem, especially in the first half. This Pelicans team has done a real nice job, especially on the offensive glass, and to not get some second-chance opportunities uh, and that kind of a thing without Steven in there hurt and 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 I think that it's safe to say the opponent took advantage of that in the first half in a big way and got comfortable too but in the third quarter a couple things started to happen you asked what what changed for me as far as seeing the Pelicans in a different light with regard to yesterday's game number one in the third they started taking care of the basketball a little bit more Um, number two was when you're um, hitting shots or excuse me when your opponent is not hitting shots this is what I want to say when their three-point shots started to go away a little bit. You know, Jalen Brown had a nice number yesterday, but, man, his shooting percentage was not good. Tatum's went down, started going downhill in the third. They had some guys, um, Kemba Walker's three-point shot. At one point I looked at the monitor and he was one for nine, and I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting because you actually had sent me a note earlier in the day saying, hey, look out, Kemba could be getting hot here. Um, his numbers were trending up. So when, when the opponent is missing shots and you're not having to face their defense all set up after a make um, you're able to do some things. So better defense in the third was allowing better offense for new Orleans. Uh, And then I thought a real key thing yesterday in the third quarter was Stan Van Gundy's decision to start doubling and trying to trap Tatum anytime they touched the ball. I thought that was huge uh, in disrupting what Boston wanted to do. So, that resulted in that 11-3 run to end the third quarter, and then you start the fourth with a nice run, uh, you know, 14-3, 14-5, something like that. So if you take the the way the Pelicans finished the third and started the fourth, that's when you started to believe, hey, this this might actually happen. Um, and then I started getting the notes from my producer, like, you know, if they pull this off, largest comeback in franchise history. And then a little bit later, I was thinking, okay, what was the what was the other one? And then. It realized, i realized it was ten years ago, just about ten years ago, uh, in 2010, that it was a 23-point comeback against Sacramento, and that game started coming back to me a little bit too, and the fury and the and the flurry of the fourth quarter, and sure enough, that's what happened. The game's great though from a national standpoint because you see both teams have big moments in that game, and then Tatum, as good of a player he is, he shines at the end of regulation and bails Boston out and 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 forces overtime. And then the overtime kind of takes care of itself, but really it was it was quite dramatic. I thought those adjustments were key, Um, and I don't want to discount, by the way, JJ Reddick's ejection yesterday, because in some way, Daniel, in watching the Pelicans here of late, they've lacked a certain kind of um, how do I put this delicately Um, an edge, maybe. (laughs) That's that's real delicate. I had something (laughs) else in mind that. even on cable wouldn't go very well. But okay, um, I didn't agree with the first call or the, the reason why he was upset for, for the first technical. The second technical is an easy one for the officiating crew. I mean, he disrespectfully sends the ball towards Josh. Yep. I mean, as soon as he, you know, looked like a bowler because he kind of put a spin on it. And, yep, I was watching it, it too. I go, he's kind of gone. Around. As, as soon as he released basketball. that, I go,
0: he's done. Right.
1: But the fact that he was upset again, because when he turned the corner on that play and took that hit and there was no whistle, that it, it, I don't think it was, maybe, maybe it wasn't an edge. It was more of a, this is how much I care about what we're doing. And so if I can't have, you know, this or whatever, it wasn't a, it wasn't a typical NBA whining or barking for a call. It was truly, hey, this matters and I'm upset about it. And maybe perhaps I, you'd have to talk to the players when you see them next, you know, or via, you know, electronically like we yeah. do now, if that had some kind of effect on them, because I think the Pelicans have played with plenty of passion. I think they have played hard. I think they, they do care and all that, but there has been that certain David West type lack of, um, well, we'll go back to your word edge, yeah. this team. And so maybe we saw yesterday some of that start to stand
0: up for them. I compared it to a manager in baseball getting ejected just the sake of sparking that team. I know JJ Reddick didn't do that on purpose for that, but after that, Nikhil had to come in, he made a big shot. Then you send in Nicola Melly for all the fourth quarter and guys that normally don't step up for the Pelicans because they don't play. Definitely had to play a lot of that fourth quarter, especially Melly and then going to overtime. So I felt like that was more of a, I'm going to write this moment down because JJ Reddick got ejected and that kind of, brought some life into this team after what was a pretty poor first three quarters. So I went back to an old baseball term of kind of the manager saying, Hey, throw me out. I'm going to try to light a fire under this, this team's booty. (laughs) I agree. And,
1: and you mentioned some of those role players, you know, stepping up. It's amazing that I just went through this whole, whatever, how long description of that second half was, and didn't mention Zion Williamson's name once, which Mm -hmm. seems crazy when you talk about his importance to this team. Um, I don't discount that. I I do say that in the fourth quarter uh, and in overtime, you know, he was a factor because he was physical. And, you know, look, Boston did a really good job in the first half of basically taking Zion out of the game. Um, but when they went back to what we've seen recently and that's Zion taking the ball up top and starting to work kind of as a point forward, um, he got downhill more. He had, what, four points in the first half?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then 24, I guess, in, in the second half and overtime. That, that's, a, that's a monster factor too. Um, so when all those things play into it, you get a big win, especially at home, to stop a losing streak. You know, I read something this morning like, well, maybe this is the game that turns their season around and all that. I don't want to – I'm not ready to go that overboard yet, but surely it's it's a fantastic response to the disaster that happened against Phoenix, you know, late last week.
0: Yeah, I was about to say it's, it's more of a consistency thing with this team is they've had some big wins of the season, but how far can they really go? four-game winning streak is the most they've had, but other than that it's been alternating wins or – or some losing streak. But when you look at this Pelicans team, Sean, and the makeup of it, you know, obviously at the very beginning of the season, Sam and Gundy's whole defensive philosophy seemed like it was going into play. They were four and two. They were holding opponents under hundred points, but they were barely scoring over hundred points. And everyone's like, well, what happened with the offense? Now it's all of a sudden Pelicans can't miss. They were second in offensive rating since January 27th, heading into yesterday's game, but they're one of the worst teams defensively in the NBA. What have you seen, even when, just watching them or even calling the game yesterday, you observe from their young core guys like Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, who are the cornerstone pieces, but then having those guys step up like a Josh Hart or Alonzo Ball, who's been basically their best three-point shooter, which is crazy to think that you're relying on Alonzo Ball to be that three point presence. Just what have you seen from the makeup of this team throughout this year that's kind of gone through probably one of the wildest roller coaster rides so far of the early season?
1: There's some things that are easy and there's some things that are not so easy. Um, We'll start with the easy part. The easy thing is this, is that when your team's leader, your team's best player, and I guess in this case, we're going to call Zion Williamson that team's best player. He has to be better defensively. And that's where his growth is going to come from as a young player. You know, he's, he's what, he's 20? Yeah, (laughs) he's got a lot to learn. But He's going to have to be more of a presence on the defensive end because other things will fall in line when that happens. Um, Brandon Ingram has, I think, improved defensively, and he would be the other, the other leader of this team. You know, your other top scorer, um, your other minutes guy, all those things. Um, but Brandon needs help, and I think Brandon also needs to keep learning what Stan Van Gundy and this team wants to do defensively. You know, there is a philosophy. There is a process. There is a reason why – when this happens, we do this, and then this follows that. So that goes into it. Josh Hart is, um, right now, he might be the heartbeat of this team. Um, you know, the, the junkyard dog, all those things, um, he's easy to find on the floor because of two things. One, he wears neon, yellow, or green, whatever <laughs> those sneakers are that he had on yesterday. Um, and then, B, because of his presence and what he's willing to do defensively and taking on – the opponent's best, usually perimeter player or wing, um, being able to help and the way that he rebounds—he had a huge rebound uh, in that fourth quarter yesterday. I thought was it, it was the fourth or overtime, which to me they just run together. But anyway, yeah. that mentality or that embodiment of what that defense can be must be more contagious for this team. The the not so easy things are this: the Pelicans, when Steven Adams is healthy, and you've got kind of your regular rotation in the low post. They've been very good at defending the rim. Um, they're very good at uh, keeping teams out of their pain a little bit. But what they've, what, what they've, I guess, invested in that has made them the worst three-point shooting team defense you know, that I can ever remember. So you know, what's the balance there? You, you know, obviously, you're doing well at one thing, but maybe is there something we can take off of that to help the, the, the other, the deficiency? So um, it's the ability to stay connected, or rotate correctly when the ball changes sides of the floor. And Boston tried to do that yesterday. They threw a lot of skip passes yesterday. They would run their point off the angle. There were different things that you knew that they had seen on film that they thought they could get uh, the Pelicans in a vulnerable spot. So look, the the other thing is this, the Pelicans aren't alone in all this situation. Boston's been up and down. They use 16 different starting lineups now um, because of injuries and health and safety protocols. And we have a bunch of teams right now that are kind of learning on the fly, virtually no training camp, huge roster turnover, you know, in what was the shortest offseason ever in NBA history, all those things play into it. So the second half, when everybody comes back from this new all-star situation, you know, it'll be interesting to see which teams have finally settled in and learned what they've learned. But that's a, that's a laundry list of things that the Pelicans have in front of them. Again, some easy and some not so easy to figure out.
0: Before I let you go here, you know, you've called a lot of games in this franchise's history, getting back to the Hornets um, and the Pelicans, too, as well, as you're only removed a year and a half from being the voice of this team. Even though you technically weren't the voice of this team yesterday when calling that game, I know you have a lot of great memories and a great games, but where does this one stack up? Does it even stack up as one of, the, one of the coolest games to call just from the fact of how they did it with the largest comeback? Again, I know we can go through playoff games we can go through the playoffs in 2018, which that was a really fun and wild ride for all of us. But where does this game stack up? And even you might not have even thought about this, but maybe you did after the game was over. Does does this one kind of stack up for you as one of the, the better games they call just for how it took place? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, that's you know, that there was su- historic significance,
1: uh, obviously, in a comeback of that size. Um, we had everything yesterday, too. We had... We had a clock situation of less than three-tenths of a second. It's not often we get to talk to the listener about what that rule is and why that mattered in that situation late in regulation for the Pelicans. Uh, We had a double lane violation that resulted in a jump ball at the center of the floor that ended up being key uh, for New Orleans. We, We had a lot of things yesterday, a lot of ingredients to make that a special game or a memorable one at the very least. And so, yes, for me, because this is my city. And that name and those colors mean something to me. It stacks up there as one of my favorites. It's it's hard for me, though. I know there were some fans in the building yesterday. It's hard for me to think of it as one of the greats in franchise history because you're missing that other part of the franchise, which is the fan base. And can you imagine what that building would have been like yesterday if we were in normal times and it was full and those fans were able to ride that thing along with the team in person? Uh, more so than just the, you know, the small crowd that was able to be there. So that factors into it. And then the other thing for me though, and and I'm not trying to be negative when I say this is um, I left the franchise to go to ESPN full-time just 18 months ago. And yet yesterday was the first Pelicans game that I did where there were no players left from any team that I'd been a part of. And there was one assistant coach left. That's it. So as far as being as connected as I've been in the past, there was a little bit of disconnect. I will be honest, though. I had to check myself in the fourth quarter yesterday mm-hmm. on a national broadcast to say, you can't go all in on the Pelicans here as you would just 18 months ago. Mm-hmm. I did have to play both sides of it, especially when Boston was trying to force overtime. Um, and so I, I I literally physically had to make sure I, I – I was able to stay somewhat neutral, but I'm—I'm I'm sure anybody who knows me knows that I was—I was bleeding a little uh, pelican blue and red yesterday during that broadcast. Um, I would be lying to myself and anybody else if I didn't admit that a little bit.
0: No, I'm—I'm I'm glad you answered that, and it's crazy because technically Zion Williamson is the longest tenured Pelican here right now just based on when he was drafted compared to some of the free agents and the trades that happened last summer so you're right there's not a lot of people from your time even 18 months ago uh, when you're talking about the the dynamic of this franchise well sean you know as soon as the game ended i was like we gotta get sean on because he was on this call too Uh, i was curious how it all played out on espn radio um i'm glad we were able to catch up in this way i know we've been dying to try to beat up in person and get some lunch and maybe when times are a little bit better, we do so. But I'm certainly glad he took some time this morning. You're about to call a third game in, in three days. So I'm glad you were able to spend some time with us this morning. I appreciate it.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. When I got your invite yesterday after the game, I was thrilled because um, we, we like to visit often, but to do so in an official capacity today sure. was was really cool. And and also a chance to talk a little bit more about a great ball game yesterday.
0: Right, for those who want to listen tonight here in New Orleans, what game do you have on, on the college side tonight? uh Syracuse and Duke back to the ACC for me tonight all right no know Jim I can offer will be listening that's for sure Sean I really appreciate the time and have a great call and hopefully uh you can have another Pelicans call and we can do this again sometime I think that's probably in the offing down the road here very soon thanks Daniel there he goes that's Sean Kelly one of the voices of ESPN radio again this is his third game in three nights tonight Syracuse and Duke on ESPN radio and you can listen on ESPN New Orleans with 100.3 fm here in the area. What a win for the Pelicans. A 24 point come from behind win last night. The largest in franchise history. Now the Pelicans will have a couple days to recover from that. And they'll welcome into the Detroit Pistons on Wednesday to wrap up a four game homestand. Pelicans and Pistons, 7 p.m. We'll have another podcast for you on Wednesday to get you ready for that game. Of course, we wanted to recap the epic game and you can do so on pelicans.com, the mobile app. There's calls of the game, there's photos, there's Jim Eichenhofer's wrap up, you name it. Plenty of coverage on our team's platforms to recap what was an incredible night inside the Smoothie King Center. Hope you all enjoyed the podcast. And for Sean Kelly, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to the Pelicans podcast presented by Siki.